The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Out of retirement here. Or did we retire? It no. felt like it. It was a long break. Jay Sandoz, Keith Brake, Jay and Keith Show. Out of hibernation. How about that? I, oh, that's more like us. Eating Holiday and sleeping. Holiday hibernation. Yes. Eating, eating and, and sleeping. sleeping. Yes. Get yeah. the itis over the holidays. Lots of Buck fans want to know if we've forgotten them. Did we love them? Did we want to talk to them anymore? Uh, SoCon fans want to know if we took our ball and went home. We did not. We are here. We will take everything full head on. We will talk ETSU men's basketball, ETSU women's basketball. We'll talk portal. We'll talk signings. We'll talk championship. What else we got? Um, I mean, that's going to cover like 45 minutes. That's a lot for us to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hello and happy new year to all of you watching us on the FCS Fans Nation YouTube channel as well. Really cool to be part of what uh, Matt Frazee and the group are doing. Uh, and uh, yeah, national championship week in FCS football. We'll get to that probably on the tail end of today's show. Yeah, we'll probably end in football. Start with uh, at least for ETSU, the here and the now, which is basketball Saturday, just men's action ETSU and Furman next week. Everybody jumps into a couple of games and we'll deal with that on the following week couple tough losses for ETSU, both on the men's and women's side. On the men's, boy, Western Carolina, back-to-back wins, eye-opening, uh, Furman, uh, right at a double-digit win, then coming into ETSU and uh, more than a double-digit win. So they've got two nice wins uh, kind of in the conference season to kick things off in the conference season. The only thing I know has been turned a little upside down is Sanford is right where we thought they would be and UNCG at 3-0 and mm-hmm. atop the league. And, again, they play such good defense. And, you know, we'll probably next week do a full breakdown of um, the standings, results, games to watch, the usual stuff that we normally do in the Southern Conference. But a lot to get to we haven't been on for a while. And I'm still going to stand by my statement on ETSU men's basketball. We'll start there. I, I just – when everyone's healthy, they look like a different team. They, they, they The six games that they've had everybody on the floor – you know, you're looking at LSU, uh, you're looking at Wofford, you're looking at some other things, but they Louisiana, they just look different, and every, they have all the pieces to be successful. And if one guy's out or West Carolina, two guys out, I don't know if people are trying to do too much. There's not enough continuity. Some of the young guys aren't ready. I don't, I don't have an explanation. I just know they look different when everybody's healthy. I, I agree. But at some point, if I may play the devil's advocate, at some point – you have to accept that that's not going to happen this year. It's just not going to happen reliably. There's going to be a moment where, you know, somebody tweaks an ankle, somebody has a hammy, somebody has something that needs to keep them out. Uh, I think Justice Smith has missed a game. I want to say Jordan King's missed a game. DeAnthony Tipler missed a game with an ankle. And Brock Jancic, I, I don't know what the extent of that is, um, but he, he was out with a lower body injury. I don't know if it's the same ankle that just... You know, maybe it hasn't fully healed or what. But whatever it is, you're not going to have everybody on the floor reliably over the course of the next 16, 15 games. And you're going to have to adapt to it. And you have to adapt to that as a team. Um, And that's, you know, that's on the coaches as well as on the players themselves. Guys, you got to step up. They got to play smarter basketball. Uh, they've got to find it within themselves to be the Division One players that they were thought to be when they were recruited to come to East Tennessee State, one of the more successful mid-major Division One programs over the last 30, 35 years. So uh, this is a, a moment where this group's medal is going to be tested and they need to rise to that test in the moment. Uh, and Western Carolina, they clearly did not. Um, and it's it's disappointing that they didn't because, I mean, the second half was just, it was just not good. Um, the first half, I thought they played fine. You know, they had a little bit of confidence. They had a little bit of energy. Um, and they seemed to be okay. 
Then Western started to hit some shots. They got some more easy paint touches. Even when Ty Jean-Claude was in foul trouble, they still got a couple of good looks with Colin Granger. They were able to get the inside-out stuff that the coaches have been preaching for like three days they did not need to get in order for ETSU to have a chance to win the game. And they started getting those things more in the second half. The Bucks had more live ball turnovers, just were dribbling the ball too high, showed Western too much of the ball, and their guards were aggressive. What a surprise. Somebody that played in the backcourt with Chris Paul coaches aggressive guards and, and, and high-octane shooting guards. What a shock. And they played that extremely well. And ETSU just didn't, didn't show well in that matchup. Now, is the ability of the Bucks to clean those things up and get back on the horse within them? Absolutely. 100%. But I, I don't think we can say that this is, you know, this is something like, well, you just got to get everybody healthy because that's not the way sports works. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have guys out. And uh, ETSU is going to have to adapt and rise to that challenge if they want to be in the top half of the league this year. I think the guard play is what is a bit shocking. Um, mm -hmm. Struthers has struggled at times with ball pressure. Yes. Jordan King has struggled at times with ball pressure. And so has DeAnthony Tipler. For Jordan King specifically, last year he probably got everyone's number three defender because you were going to try to shut down Ladarius Brewer and David Sloan. And now Jordan King is the guy. And everyone is trying to – um, sort of get in his grill and, and get him off kilter. And Don't they, let started to bump us. and yeah. be a little more physical because he's not particularly a big guy. So I think it's going to be an uphill climb because the, the book's out on what to do to ETSU and disrupt him, which is start with Jordan King. And then when Tipler, who likes to come off the bench, if he comes on the floor, you know, those are the, the first two options. Jalen Haynes is three. Other than that, there's some guys that – are nice pieces that could score. Now, I thought Josh Taylor had the game against LSU, maybe he turned a corner, but he got the concussion. He's been out nope. up in the air if he's going to play Saturday as well. Something you can't take lightly, a concussion. We get that. We would like it to make sure that he is healthy. Jane Seymour, 12 points the other day, but he has moments where he struggles from three feet and in. Alan Struthers isn't particularly a great scorer. He's not a great shooter. I think he could eventually score, and I think he needs to shoot a little bit more. And then I think they're just, there's just a struggle to get points if Jordan King and Anthony Tipler aren't going. Because I think mm -hmm. Jalen Haynes is probably going to live around his 10, 12 points a game. Uh, I think he can have games where he has a lot more than that. But I think you can probably book him for 10 a night with ease. The other problematic thing is free throw shooting. Oh, uh, I mean, the oh. guard play, the free throw shooting. And it's crazy because turnovers haven't been – early in the season was a pretty big issue. Then it seemed like it calmed down. I mean, the first half of the West Carolina game, there were four turnovers. Right. The second half, 14 turnovers and 18 points off turnovers. And in 5 of 13 from the line, and a, lot, and a few of those, not a lot of them, but a few of those were one-and-ones. I mean, the big specific play to me is they get the offensive player control foul that led to free throws, and Tipler goes to the line down eight, misses the front end, could have been down six. Shot clock winding down. Ball thrown over near Coach Gray and his bench, and a two-hand over-the-hand shot by Jackson, which is more of a heave to try to throw it near the rim, swishes in, and it goes from 8 to 11. So it could have been 6, went to 11. That's a That was sort of how the game went, I thought. Yeah, and the free throw percentage. Do you want to know where ETSU ranks? I mean, do I want to know, or are you going to tell me? Those are two different I, things. I am eventually going to tell you. Do you want to take a, a, a stab at where they are free throw percentage-wise? They are last in the Southern Conference. I'll give you that. There's 330, 40 teams. It's about 354. Uh, 298. It's lower. Uh, 330. Well, um, my Wi-Fi is not working. But, yeah, they were in the 330s. Oh. Yep. It's, uh, yeah. That's not good, right? Is that what you're telling me? That's not good? No. it's it. No, it's not. It's not well, well, you know, it, it's not. Um, I mean, I want to say. What did, I, what did I have on my, what did I have my chart for the Western Carolina game? Entering the Western game. 
entering the Western game, they were uh, 309th. So Ugh, now it had to and they were down not five good. for 13. <laughs> they were 5 for 13, so that number Ooh. went down. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're 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 dropping fast. And that's something that in a in in a, a team that's played as many close games, as many one possession, two possession late type games as ETSU has, you look at free throw percentage and that is costing you wins. It's not just costing you competitive games. It's costing you wins. You miss those free throws. Those are the easiest theoretical points that you will get in a basketball game, and ETSU is not converting them. And that's something that's just, that's fundamental basketball stuff. That's got to improve. Uh, and, and if it does improve, this team can maybe, you know, cut paper over. Uh, some of its other mistakes and miscues that they're making during games. But if you don't hit your free throws, then a lot of those other things become even more glaring. I think um, when you look at ETSU basketball this year, and it really, I think, athletics in general, uh, it's just been a, a a what-if situation because it's, you know, what, what if – and forget – refereeing and flags and all that but what if you were able to not stumble on this play or um you know get the front end of a one and one or you know you you try to make a shoestring tackle and the, the other team lunges and gets a first down or in the last instance a, a team chunks one near midcourt it goes in for three i mean it's just a situation where you have to eventually make your own breaks mm-hmm. like ATSU, i think that's a situation uh, 324th in the country in free throw percentage by the way so I think, I mean, you have to make your own breaks. You got, you got to right. figure it out. And I thought ETSU had started to turn a corner with the wins on the road. Now it's a little bit back to square one. I just think the margin for error for this team, especially if they're not going to be healthy, which Keith is probably right, they're probably not going to be all year, then the margin for error is plentiful. So you can't have the, the triple-headed whammy of not hitting free throws, turning the basketball over, I forgot what the other one was, but it doesn't matter. Then another one. Anyways, mm-hmm. even those two. I mean, you're still in the game if one of the two kind of, oh, and, and miss layups. That's going to be the other one. Because in the first half, Seymour missed a couple. Haynes missed a couple. Yeah. King missed a couple. In the second half, King had a breakaway. I thought got fouled. Again, doesn't matter. Didn't call, but it still should be a layup that goes in, even, even if there was contact. I mean, there were probably eight to ten shots. So, what was crazy is if you just took one of the three things away, it's either a ball game, you take two away, it's probably a win for ETSU. Now, again, you can't do that, and I'm not taking anything away from Western Carolina. I thought their guard play was tremendous. I thought they took the fight to ETSU. Coach uh, Oliver said they took their soul. Now, that's a bit much for me. I don't know, Mortal Kombat yeah. maybe has been playing lately, but, I mean, t- took the soul of the team and just took it away. And so I think – ETSU, I thought, maybe learning how to win and still not quite there. And I think the depth issue showed at the end of the first half because ETSU's up 10. Mm-hmm. They look tired. Western ties the basketball game up. I don't think they looked as tired in the second half. I thought guys were kind of competing, but uh, they weren't competing to the level Western Carolina was. I think yeah. it, it jumped off. Going back and watching the tape, it jumped off the page. Now ETSU – after two road wins, was looking pretty and trying to get the first 3-0 and start since the 16-17 season um, at ETSU, which was the year, I think it was 16-17, maybe 17-18, was one or the other. But it was the year they started the year 13-0 and in conference play before, that was the DeSante Bradford senior year, before ETSU actually dropped the last three home games, which mm-hmm. was Citadel, Wofford, Furman. Now they're in situations 2-1, and one, and they still got an opportunity to make some noise because they get Furman, who has a loss on their record already to Western Carolina. But Furman returns, you know, them and Sanford the most the most players. I think Sanford technically returned the most Furman right there. But you look at the quality of players that Furman brought back. Mike Bothwell, Jalen Slauson, even Garrett Heen, who had got some starting time last year and went to the bench. He's kind of found his rhythm the last three games. Marcus, uh, Marcus Foster's a nice piece to the puzzle. They thought they were getting – the top point guard from a couple of recruiting classes ago in Carter Witt. He's mm-hmm. been out. Um, 
questionable if he's going to be back as well going into the game. So Furman's got a little bit of its own issue going on. But Mike Bothwell's averaging like 19-9 a game or something crazy. I think he's 21st nationally in the country Yeah. as far as scoring. Jalen Slauson's a triple-double machine or, or a stat stuffer, if not a triple-double. I know he's only had one triple-double, but he's been right there in a lot of them. And again, with Garrett Heen picking up and Foster being able to score, I mean, this is going to be – a tough contest, a tough team. The only thing I can go to is that for whatever reason, ETSU and Furman tend to split the season series. Yep. Generally speaking, they tend to hold serve at home. In the last 18 meetings, each team has won nine. Mm-hmm. And the one year that ETSU finally picked up a road win at Furman, thinking, hey, this is the year, which, again, the DeSante Bradford year I just mentioned, well, Furman repaid the favor back in Freedom Hall. So – you know, it's going to be a tight game. ETSU has had Furman's number at home. Equally, when we get to ETSU playing at Furman, it has been the dominance the other way. So we can talk about that later. But, you know, they're going to run the Princeton style. It's going to be a lot of back cuts. Going to be a lot of trying to get into the three. They're going to get some clean looks from three. Can they, you know, what do you defend? Do you try to take away the three? Do you try to defend the paint? Furman's real good at getting the free throw line. ETSU's a little thin. Does foul trouble come into play? Mm-hmm. There's a lot to consider. But this is a very good Furman Paladin basketball team uh, that I uh, picked first uh, in the preseason poll. I had them. I think I had Sanford 2, Chat 3, or somewhere in that – in the Tier 1. You know, I like to do more tiers, and I like to do that. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I think Furman already losing at Western Carolina, great bounce back, hammered – citadel by 25 or something and so i think they'll be licking their chops in a wounded etsu team so my question is early keith what and etsu's had good starts it's really it's not early mid first half for me my question is can the brooks bucks prove that they are ready to compete in this game by finishing the last four minutes of the first half i think that's a situation where you have to and that's a situation where you got to rely on your bench a little bit because you're bound to have somebody that's in foul trouble. I mean, just the, the law of averages in college basketball, you're going to have somebody at some position that picks up two personals in the first half. And they're going to have to sit. And they're probably going to pick it up. There's going to be somebody that picks one up late, and somebody's going to have to sit that you would like to have on the floor for that last four or five minutes, and somebody's got to step in and fill the gap. Who fills that gap? Is it uh, Jamarius Hairston? Is it... You know, maybe Tipler comes off the bench for a guard. If it's a big, can Jeremy Gregory um, clean up enough defensively that he can be out there? Because, I, I mean, obviously, I like the young guys. Like, I like Illich. I like Gregory. I think those guys have a lot of potential. Um, but they are freshmen, right? And, and, and they're being put in positions that, you know, the things that they don't know they don't know are going to get taken advantage of, and and they're going to have some some rough stretches. So, um, can those guys go out there and just be decent? You don't have to be elite. You don't even have to be great. You just have to be replacement level on defense because Gregory can do some good things. We, I mean, you know, I love his activity around the rim. You know, he's he's good on the glass. Some he'll get some points every now and then. Uh, get you some opportunities. Um, to, to give your team a little bit of energy. And Illich is a big guy that can step out and shoot. Um, you know, he picked up five defensive rebounds in nine minutes. That's, that's you know, nothing to, to scoff at on, uh, on Wednesday. So um, those guys could be in two years or even a year and a half uh, or less than a year and a half. Uh, they could be really useful players for this program and, and really good players in this program. Right now, they're still learning. How fast can they climb that learning curve? That's going to determine whether ETSU can avoid the kind of late first half surge that Western Carolina had against them. That um, I'm trying to remember back, I think Jacksonville State had a similar late first half surge in the game that they ultimately won. I want to say App State had one like that, where they kind of went on, got a little bit of, of momentum going in the last four or five minutes of the first half. So I think you're right. This team's going to have to show that it knows how to close out the last few minutes of the first half before it can show that it can it knows how to close out late games. And you're going to have to do that with players off the bench making contributions. And, you know, the depth I think is going to be a, a, a bit of an issue again moving forward because, I, again, I would be shocked if we saw Taylor um, 
Jancic, a little bit of a toss-up. I'm, I'm not. I'm never really sure because he didn't practice any leading up to the Wofford game, and you know played 21 minutes and was excellent. So, not not sure. Uh, played in the VMI game as well, but he did practice going into the VMI game. So I, I don't know. Furman's a little bit confusing to me. Uh, they score. They've always been able to score. They usually tops are right there in field goal percentage, which they are this year. They're leading the league. But what is a little uh, confusing to me is that. Furman defensively they're allowing teams to shoot almost 47 percent from the floor this year and that's not really Bob Ritchie and his style uh, of defense I think they've lost some key defenders Um, but that being said I I think it's going to be a tough task for ETSU is it a winnable game sure I mean if there's anything in the Southern Conference is proved to you right now and I know normally you're like ETSU is at home and that's that's pretty much guaranteed a win, but th- this year it's not. Um, and so you know, Furman and every team coming in here is going to look at that film and go, "Hey guys, if we can pressure the guards right here, you know, get some easy turnovers, some Absolutely, easy as yeah. I call, you know, the atomic bombs you get on there and get those quick points off turnovers, uh, you know, it, it, it could be a good day for the Furman Paladins." And I hate seeing purple teams back to back. You know my theory on that, but you know, uh, I think it's crazy if ETSU were able to win that game Saturdays we record here on Friday uh, I mean I, I don't know I, we'll have to talk Monday I, I don't know what it means if they lose the game you know which they're probably going to be an underdog I would assume uh, you know if you believe the wise guys and all that I believe they'd be an underdog even on their home floor and they're two and two and it's a tight game I basically got three things we can go with uh, at the end of the game you know if they win the game what does it mean being three and one if they lose or two and two but how did they lose because they didn't right. they lost ugly against Western and credit Western for that. Again, I'm not taking uh, any anything away from the Catamounts. They deserve to win that game. They came in, had an excellent game plan, executed at a high level, and, uh, again, took the will away from the Bucks there. So how does ETSU kind of respond? Because there's been other times where there's been losses, and I thought maybe going down to LSU – that was not going to be a good omen because of the way they had just lost five, you know, four in a row at that point. And then, um, then they got down kind of big, 14 points. I'm like, oof, this is going to get ugly quickly. And then they got back and had a shot with 18 seconds to tie or take the lead. So I've been shocked before by this team. We'll see what the resolve is. We'll see what's happening. That game is going to be 4 o'clock, 3.30 pregame show. Keith will have coverage on ESPN+. Plus. We'll have it on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Uh, Bruce Tramberger also in on the call. So we'll have all of that for you. What's Massey say? Is that what you looked up over there? Yeah, Massey says um... – Furman 74, ETSU 71, 59% chance for the Paladins to win. And I would say that's fair. I, I, you yeah. know, no matter what blue and gold goggles you got on, I think you got to look at that and go, that's that's a pretty fair, I think, assessment uh, of not knowing the unknowns coming in. Again, you know, it was Carter Witt finally back. He's missed uh, – I don't think he's played in a conference game yet. Missed the last three weeks or so, four weeks. Yeah, what's Obviously, the status don't know of Taylor? Taylor don't Jancic, know Johnson, yeah. Jancic, uh, we don't know all that. That being said, I think that's uh, that, that's pretty good. All right, let's talk women's basketball uh, here real quick. I'm not going to hit a bumper. I'm going to denote the time so I can at least put it down for people that are skipping right now, and I give you enough time to listen to women's basketball. Unbelievable game last night. To me, a typical ETSU Chattanooga, Chattanooga game. Uh, it's a series that Chattanooga has dominated. It was a different ETSU Chattanooga game because neither team was really great offensively. Chattanooga was slightly better offensively, and I think the biggest difference was two Chattanooga players became running mates, and for ETSU, Giselle Thomas needed a running mate and couldn't get one. That being said, the comeback late uh, with a chance to actually take the lead. The last lead ETSU had was 6-4 in the first quarter and down 51-50 had the ball and with 13 seconds give or take uh, Kendall Foley had a ball kind of hit the rim hit the backboard hit the rim hang on a miss and it was an intentional foul one of two for chat then they got fouled one of two and Foley had a chance uh, mm-hmm. to and got I thought a fairly decent look uh, considering as the horn sounded to try to send it to overtime but the resolve for ETSU women's basketball to come back from that, I thought was impressive because Chattanooga did a great job of stiff-arming uh, the women's team, and every time they got it to about three or four, they would just stretch it out to eight or ten. Mm-hmm. And then ETSU would fight back, and then they would stretch it back out, and then ETSU able to make enough plays uh, at the end to give themselves a chance. Uh, but in the non-conference, you know, 
ETSU and Chet were two of the three best teams in non-conference play Mm -hmm. and maybe putting the league on notice that they're going to be two teams to be in a dogfight for the Southern Conference Women's Championship. I hate that I was right that the first team to 50 won the game. Um, And ETSU had a chance to win that game. And and, like you said, it took probably a little too long for a, a running mate for Giselle Thomas to emerge. But Kendall Foley... Double figures, third straight game. That's the first time she's done that as a Division One basketball player, you know, including her time at Oakland. Good on Man. the glass too yesterday. Yeah, and and was I mean she was good on the glass against Vanderbilt. She had twelve rebounds against Vanderbilt back in the day, and she has kept that intensity. She came, she missed two games due to illness. She comes back and she is right where. They want her to be in terms of effort, in terms of intensity, in terms of focus. Just seems like a more consistent version of the player we saw flashes of before she missed that time. And like she's really just started to put it all together. Um, the Bucs didn't hit enough shots over the course of the game. They didn't, ca- they didn't catch some breaks. I mean, there's a lot of things you can point to. Right, you know, there were a couple times where, uh, you know, you look at the free throw numbers. I thought there were a couple times that maybe a whistle could have gone their way, maybe should have gone their way based on the way that whistles were going earlier in the game, and uh, those didn't materialize. Um, you look at the shooting numbers; they were 0 for their last 11, I think, in the second quarter. They were two for their last 10 in the first quarter. Just did not close out those first two periods well at all. And if any one of those things is different. Heck, if it's not an intentional foul on Neve Brown at the end of the game, ETSU has a very real shot to win the thing. And honestly, there's probably a butterfly effect parallel universe where they do win the game. So, I mean, there's a there are a lot of little things that added up. And what I think you take away from this, and the reason that you're still optimistic, is they got in a 13-point hole with 740 left. And they battled their way back into the game and had the chance to win it in the final 20 seconds. And none of the things that put them in that hole are insurmountable. None of those things are things that are going to prevent them definitively from winning games in the SOCON this year. And Mercer, who's in here next week, they just lost. They lost their conference opener, which is a a stunner to UNC Greensboro. Um, that's not one that that I expected certainly uh, to see uh, come across the uh, the ticker when uh, when we saw the scores last night. I was just I was really really stunned by that. Um, so Mercer's already in a hole, and Mercer is beatable. I think everybody in this league is beatable. There are wins on the table for ETSU, and they will find ways to win games. They will at some point make this one good and I do I believe in my heart of hearts they will make it good in the roundhouse when uh, when the time comes to go down to Chattanooga and play at McKenzie Arena um, because the road teams won the last four games in this series so why not the second third quarter and I'm going to touch on that in a second second third quarter ETSU from the floor was seven of 30 and three yeah. of 12. Just got to hit shots. I mean, just, and uh, Jayla Rufus Milner did not have her best game against Abby Cornelius rebounding the basketball. And I'll say this: I thought that was a tough matchup for both post players because yeah. Rufus Milner is not particularly known as a scorer, like offensive rebound, energy, putbacks. But Jakaya Davis is more of a set shooter, right? And she had all kinds of trouble getting shots off uh, against Abby Cornelius, who didn't start for the second time in the last four years. That was just her That's, second non-start, which which no, no one gave I, I me yeah. any. I tried to get a quick explanation uh, from Jim over there, and he, I didn't get any. Uh, I don't know. He was like, oh, well, you know, she's not feeling well. I guess she'll go. I was like, okay. Yeah, Maybe I mean, it was more of the story, but she was fine. I mean, unless she was ill coming into it, she she didn't look at on the floor. I'm not saying she, you know, maybe had flu-like symptoms or something like that, but um, it wasn't an injury-type deal. So I, I don't know how she was particularly feeling, but – you know, defensively again, she was incredible. She does some, and, and not just blocking shots, but the way that she hedges ball screens and can defend the perimeter and get back against other posts is it really remarkable. And uh, you know, she's one of the COVID people. I wish didn't have a fifth year because I'm you know tired of seeing how great she is. And I say that just because she <laughs> truly. You look at the numbers: over a thousand points, over seven hundred rebounds, over a hundred block shots. I mean. It's just an incredible career for Abby Cornelius. Uh, I thought Sean Poppy did a nice job uh, uh, kind of 
installing some energy late in the game where clearly things things were going awry. Raven Thompson was a talented freshman. I think she impressed. The graduate transfer, uh, Wazir Dean, was incredible. Um, 19 for her. So I, I, I will be. It will be fun to see in the roundhouse. And I was gonna, you know, touch on the fact that last year, you know, things weren't really looking ETSU's way um, late in the year, but they they kind of got some things going late and got down the roundhouse and and kind of ran away with it down there. So certainly it should be a fun rematch down in the McKenzie Arena uh, later. I think it's early February when they'll uh, uh, tip it up again. So that's a look at our basketball. It's time to turn a little bit of attention to foosball football. The transfer portal. Uh, Does it giveth and it taketh? It, 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 it has it has taketh, takeneth, taken. I'm going to let you do the tenses. Yes. yes. Um, You're the English guy. The, the portal has taken and the portal has given for East Tennessee State. Um, there are some players we can't talk about yet. Right, because they are not official for one reason or another. They have uh, Twitter officials said or uh, other things, but the paperwork. Right. And for us as ETSU employees, we have to wait for the actual paperwork from compliance to say that we can talk about it. To that. say that they are actually an ETSU So please player. don't scream at us as we go through this list and you're like, well, I know this guy. No, we, we, I know you know. Or if you yes. don't know, you're not paid attention. But there are a couple mm-hmm. we cannot mention. Yes. Uh, there are a couple that we can mention. Um, and the first one that I want to mention is Zach Borish, from, uh, who was a, a favorite of the uh, the Tubbs at the Club podcast uh, up at... I'm a uh, fan of that name. I don't know what their podcast is, but I'm a fan of the name. That's the uh, Idaho football podcast, Tubbs at the Club. Um, way, that's, way better than our name. That's a fun group of guys. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, we don't. I don't know really what we could have done, like... Blobs and slobs. Blobs. I, well, we can't do that because that's a Mine Steve Forbes show one day. For baseline out of bounds and sideline out of bounds, nicknames are blobs and slobs. And I said it actually fits both of us. So Yeah. And we dress like blobs and slobs, me and you. So I was going to say, you're the blob and he's the slob, given the personal pan pizza story. Oh, and there's more than that. (laughs) He's got, oh. Disturb. I love that you get random phone calls. Or I do. Obviously, you don't. But I get random phone calls at like 1 in the morning with some of his stories. And I'm like, I don't. Do you call me because you know I'm the only one that's going to answer? Because I asked Brooke Savage and BJ Mackey one time. It's like, do you guys answer his calls? And they're like, no. Well, no, we don't do that. And they're like, if you stop answering, he won't call you anymore. I was like, that's a good point. So I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to freeze him out here soon. <laughs> talk about but, freezing out. Let's talk a little bit about uh, anyway, uh, Idaho coming uh, to yeah. the tropical valley of the mountains. Zach Borish, kind of a Swiss Army knife, um, primarily here as a running back. I know he did throw a few passes. Um, I think that's more of a – Particularly in ETSU situation, now, ETSU doesn't have, um, I, I think, the quarterback that they're looking for in the uh, in the transfer portal right now. They are looking for a quarterback in the transfer portal, um, but uh, right now it's Zach Borish as a running back um, and is a good one. You know, he's a good athlete. He's got good size, like 6'1", 195 something. Um, big dude, superb athlete. As you have to be to be a, a, a decorated uh, judoka, he's, he's he does judo and um, has very interesting background with that. Uh, I, I'm excited about this addition to the backfield. I think it gives them somebody that's got uh, an immediate boost um, to mix in with the other guys that you've got back there. And, and it's a really intriguing combination because you've got Bryson Irby, who was a little bit of the change of pace guy is obviously going to be asked to take on a slightly bigger role now that Jacob Sailors is has graduated. Um, you've got, uh, I believe, Amir Amir Dendi is still back there as well. The freshman, how does he take a step forward? Um, because he is going to have to compete to earn his way, uh, I think, into the backfield mix. So, Borish, great addition, can do a lot of different things. Like I said, he's a he can run the ball, but also he can catch. Uh, he can throw if you need him to in like a, a situation to just keep a defense off balance. I think he's a really fun uh, addition. Luke Slusher, transfer out of uh, Western Kentucky offensive lineman. Um, 
kind of feels like somebody that could maybe be the starting center for this program for a little bit. The way that Joe Schreiber was, you know, Schreiber transferred in with, what, two years, three years of eligibility and uh, held down a spot. I mean, he's an all-conference center by the end of his career. So um, Slusher, certainly a player that the, I, I feel like has very similar upside. And offensively, given what ETSU has confirmed uh, coming back, I feel like that side of the ball is in a really good position. Yeah, and I think the the big question was what what about Will Huzzy? I had talked to Will, and um, I don't know. It's a foregone conclusion that he won't be back. I'll just put it that way. Uh, I think when he went in, everyone gave it the, yeah, he gone. And I don't know that that is as cut and dry as, as some people um, have thought. So the receiving room was the deepest – especially if Will Huzzy was back. Mm-hmm. It was still going to be pretty good. Obviously, you lose a little bit Will Huzzy leaving, but still got a lot of uh, spots there. They still entertained a few other offensive linemen. Um, you know, some, we'll go with the signing, the, the freshman kind of signing day, uh, kind of a quick rundown here in just a second. But, yeah. you know, they did get an offensive lineman there. There are a couple portal guys that have visited or will visit. Um and so you can check Twitter and all that until they, they sign officially or come on campus. That's the other thing. We'll have a, a pretty good show on either this probably the 18th, which is Wednesday, only because school starts on the 17th. And when people are on campus, sometimes you don't know till they get on campus. They don't actually sign anything. Sometimes they do sign stuff. Like Lou uh, Slusher, he actually signed the, mm-hmm. the grant and aid, so we can talk about him. But – there are people like, yeah, I'll be there, and they're not going to sign anything, and they're, you're just waiting to see when school starts if they actually do. Obviously, quarterback is another one uh, that they've got. You mentioned Boris, the running back, already there. You know, will they – you know, tight ends are back. Um, Cole West, Jalen Frierson, I'm sure if there's a good tight end floating, they'll look at it. Defensive side of the ball, a little bit slow to, to get. I still think they need older at – uh, inside linebacker, they certainly need some some uh, nose guards, both down techniques, the three of the five. And then, uh, you know, could they get a corner or two? Uh, you know, we'll just see. So they're still doing work. This is a big recruiting weekend next weekend. Uh, they will have portal guys, freshman guys, so they'll have some stuff going on. The next signing day is the first, fe- the first Wednesday in February. So I don't have a calendar in front of me, but, you know, it's the first one's in February. And so uh, there'll be more to come there on the freshman side for the portal side and transfers coming in. Now, there could be a situation where you could get somebody to sign a grant and aid for the next year, but they may need to finish graduating. So there's right. a lot of play there in the portal stuff that we'll try to keep you up to date as, as it kind of goes on. Yes. Um, one important thing to note, we're taping on January 6th. It is a 45-day window that opened on November 21st for FCS players. So that 45-day window elapsed yesterday. So the guys that are on teams right now are on teams. That doesn't mean that you know play, new players can't come in or players can't be contacted, they can't commit or anything. They just have to be in the portal by the end of that 45-day period. Right. There I- will be a 15-day period in spring I don't know when that is. I want to say that's like April 15th through the 30th. I don't know. Off yeah, the top they, of my head. they usually do. It. They usually try to coincide with everyone's done with spring practice right. uh, at that point in time. But yeah, not to be confused that everybody that's in the portal doesn't have to sign by the end of that period. You just have that period to Correct. be in the portal. Correct. And you can pull your name out of the portal. Let's say you're Will Huzzy. You can pull your name out of the portal at any time to stay at the school that you're currently at. Correct. So just some clarifications on that. Yes, but you do have a little bit more certainty of your roster going into the spring and the needs that you're going to have and, um, and and where you're looking at position battles. And I think a lot of that is going to be on the defensive side of the ball, Jay. Uh, this group is thin right now. Uh, Jamie Collier out of Ohio, safety addition um, to, to that room. And, and that room is very crowded, I feel like, with Collier, Chris Hope, and Sheldon Arnold all back there. That's a lot of guys with a lot of experience that are now vying for two spots on the back end of Billy Taylor's defense. Uh, This group is still very thin at linebacker. It's still very thin at corner. It's still very thin on the defensive line. 
Um, so there are areas uh, that need to be addressed. And I see you looking at the signing class. So I think that kind of leads me to, to where I want to go with this is, and, and where George Quarles has gone with this in the past, is there are going to be some guys that don't redshirt out of this 2023 recruiting class that are going to have opportunities to play right away and are probably going to seize upon those opportunities to play right away. Yeah, and, and you know, again, that there's a, a lot of off, and you can't not recruit the offense side of the ball, but the, the big thing is the, the depth on O-line, D-line. The biggest question mark besides quarterback, I think everyone knows that, but besides quarterback, offensive line, depth, and then that's it for offense for the most part. You know, they've got enough pieces. If you had to play a game, minus the quarterback, and you can start Baron May, I mean, so you can play. But, I mean, if you wanted to do it, the biggest question mark, who, who's going to be snapping the football? What other offensive lineman can you bring in? Quarterback, pretty much it on the offense. Defensive side, oof, a lot of question marks. I mean, yes, uh, a lot of the outside linebackers are back. Uh, Max Evans back up front. You mentioned the two safeties are back. And then a lot of, oh, my goodness, who's, who's it going to be? So, you know, conscious effort early to get that. They're still working on defense. I thought really sort of the surprise and maybe the gym so far. And, you know, again, it's early and who knows and star ratings, all that good stuff. But Ray Coney was a guy that I talked to Billy Taylor yesterday to make sure I had the story correct. And Ray's big concern was, was he, was he going to go to Army? Like that's where he was committed. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't know if it was change of heart if there's, you know, scores, if there's medical. I mean, ETSU got Ben Rhoda from Air Force because they found some kidney thing that he didn't know he had. It's never affected him in his entire life. I asked him the other day about it. It still never come into play. <laughs> but he was disqualified because of that. And so ETSU oh, was wow. able to get him because it was kind of late and school had already started. And so, anyway, long story short, I don't know what Ray was going, but I know Billy Taylor said he just kept talking to him and said, listen, if you go to Army, great. It's academy. You can serve your country. I think you should do that. But let me be your backup plan. Mm -hmm. If something were to go awry, just let's stay in contact. Let's do whatever. And I think Ray called him on Friday and was like, hey, uh, Coach, I, I think I'm going to come on the visit Saturday. And then Friday, 20 minutes later, Coach, I, I'm not going to make it. Okay. Saturday morning, Coach, I'm on my way. Oh, crap. Now we got to get some paperwork going. So, right. So they had started paperwork, stopped paperwork. So they get the paperwork. He comes, and, and, and Coach Taylor says, listen, I, I wasn't real sure. I, I had a gut feeling that it didn't seem like he had a great time. He goes, now, I, I don't – you know, the kid's a little bit quiet, reserved, so I, I don't know. And said as he was driving home, he got about an hour up the road, called Coach Taylor, says, yep, I'm going to come. Uh, go ahead and book me on Wednesday. I'll sign the paperwork. And then Wednesday comes, he signs the paperwork. So, yeah. uh, again, it's one of those deals where at the FCS level, you know, at the FBS level, a lot of people don't want to tell people, hey, you're my backup plan. Like, they want to do the opposite and say, you know what, you're the sign on me or I'm moving on. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of that. At the FCS level, I think you can look at a guy like that and go, you know what, if you go there, great. If something were to fall through, while everybody else is telling you you got to make a decision, I'll tell you, if, I'll be your backup plan. And so – that appears the backup plans ETSU, and I don't feel real bad about that because he had offers from all three academies. So if you don't know what type of guy he is, all three academies mm -hmm. had offered. Bowling Green was there, obviously was a commit. Already 6'3", 220. And let's be honest, for the Buck fans that know this, think about the couple linebackers that have come out of the state of Ohio. Dylan Weigel, yep. right? Blake Bockrath. So, I mean – the first two off the top of my head, uh, outstanding football players that were able to make uh, a good career at ETSU. Then you look at a couple other needs, right? Uh, well, another linebacker, Elijah Taylor. I don't want to skip too far, but Gatson, Alabama. ETSU's got a couple kids from Gatson that's come in before. His brother plays Alabama. So pretty good football genes there, I would assume. Yeah, a Taylor is somebody – I mean, just, just to kind of you know tie a bow on Coney, that dude can play. If, I, I, that if you would, watch his huddle, he hits. Yes. I mean, he he's extremely physical. He finishes at the football. Um, now, when he has to move laterally in coverage, that's something that maybe you would normally work on in a redshirt year. But that's something I think you can do on the fly with a guy that's that athletic. He already has the size to play inside linebacker at this level. Um, I think Billy Taylor is going to turn that guy into a tackling machine. He's somebody that's got a real opportunity to make an impact on the field. And a three-star get for ETSU is the star of any recruiting class. But Taylor, 
Um, I love watching Elijah Taylor's film because he flies to the quarterback. He is, I mean, it feels like he just slightly floats off the ground as he runs. He's that kind of stride. Uh, somebody who I think, even if he's not making an immediate impact on the defense, is going to have a chance to play a lot on special teams in his true freshman year at East Tennessee State just because of the speed that he brings. But he's a guy, you put 10, 12 pounds on him, 15 pounds on him, he's 6'2", 230 coming off the edge. That guy's going to be able to get to the quarterback. He's going to be able to hit. He's also going to be able to drop in coverage a little bit. Um, I, I love the Elijah Taylor pickup. I think the the young linebackers that they got in this recruiting class are guys that are going to have an opportunity to make an immediate impact on the team. And then um, Braxton Wilson's very interesting to me. You know, Fayetteville High School, good program. Fayetteville, Tennessee uh, was also a baseball player. So you'd imagine pretty decent athlete um, in addition to just being big. At six one two ninety, you think he hit any long balls at six one two ninety? I would Thinking certainly imagine yard? so. Yeah, I would imagine so. Six one two ninety, that's the kind of size ETSU needs on the defensive line right now. So normally, that's maybe somebody again at, at another program that's got you know established veterans that's got plenty of guys in front of him. Maybe you put him in the Devo program and you get him down to like 285 and then you build him back up to 295 and you know you do it a little bit different than he might have done it in high school. But at right now, you just need somebody that's big enough to handle multiple gaps in a, a three-man front. And if Wilson can, can show the ability to pick up the scheme quickly, then he's going to have an opportunity to play a lot on this defense in 2023. And I think all these guys are interesting. Robert McNeil, the defensive back that they got out of Bowden, uh, Georgia, is somebody else who's really unique. He was a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, his tape is a lot of quarterback play, not a lot of corner play. So uh, don't necessarily know a whole lot about how he plays at that position. But um, if you're a dual-threat quarterback at a, at a decent-level high school in Georgia, state championship-winning high school in Georgia – you're probably the best athlete on the team. So you're probably going to be a reasonably high-level athlete, and that's going to give you an opportunity to get in here and, again, contribute early. These younger guys on defense, the opportunity is there. We don't know what's coming in the portal for the defense. It feels like there are maybe, you know, there are going to be players that are in the portal right now that aren't able to transfer until after the spring semester is over because of the academic side of things. They have to graduate. They have to get their degrees before they can move on as a graduate transfer. Uh, that may be an opportunity for ETSU to pick up some one-year guys or two-year guys that can help them just plug gaps. But all of these players I look at and say, if you come in here, you pick up the defense, you work hard, you come to practice with a good attitude, your team first, Billy Taylor's going to put you on the field. And you're going to have a chance to be a, a long-term piece at East Tennessee State. I think there's no doubt if you want to play in Billy Taylor's defense, well, one, if you're a linebacker, you're going to get some numbers. But two, it doesn't take much to look at the depth chart, and I'm sure they're selling them like, look, you know, <laughs> you want an opportunity to, if you're ready, you're physically ready and can understand what you're supposed to do, on the defense, then you got a shot to play. Rather, that's absolutely it, even special teams, but you got a shot defensively. And knowing ETSU's really been thin right now, inside linebacker because three of the four outside linebackers are back, and you're thin on the D line. Uh, and I don't know, uh, but Brendan LeBlanc, I, you know, out of Louisiana signs, and he's got to add a little bit of weight, six foot two forty five. Yeah, but that tie there. Um, Coach, uh, uh, coach Days, Days, Days Daryl Days. Daryl Day, yeah. Yeah, was the head coach at Nichols State where Coach LeBlanc's dad played, so they got a tie. Uh, of course, uh, mm -hmm. Coach Days from Louisiana, got a lot of ties down there, so not a shock. But what I like about that, at 6'245", sets the school record in bench press. Okay. So a strong 245. I think you can get away with 245 if you certainly, uh, in a phone booth, can handle yourself uh, leverage-wise. 
and being able to to maneuver. I, I, I'll say this: I think you could get away with six foot two forty five as a linebacker if you wanted to convert, and that might be something that they have a conversation about when he gets here. But if you want to stay on the defensive line, you want to play three tech. I think you take that school record bench press and you put 25 pounds on him and and, and redshirt him. That's the guy that I look at and say. What about the recon package? Oh, interesting. That would be interesting. Think about that. But I, I would say. Strong guy, speed guy. Maybe he's not ready for the everyday right. uh, rotation, but early no. until he packs on the weight. Could you see a guy like that? LeBlanc strikes me as a classic redshirt. Develop him and let him run. Let him terrorize defense or offensive lines for four years. Like, that's what he strikes me as, the kind of guy that he's already got the physical strength. You put a little bit of extra weight on him so he doesn't get banged up over the course of the year, and you let him roll because that's somebody that, again, there's a lot of there's a lot of reps on the table right now at ETSU, and that's not something that's just going to go away over the course of the next three months. So um, he's going to have an opportunity to get on the football field and contribute um, as even if it, it takes the whole of his 2023 to get him ready to contribute meaningfully in 2024. So Robert McNeil, interesting defensive back, another area, cornerback uh, projection, 5'11", 170. Again, what I like about him is, and you get a lot of these guys, just pure athlete, was a quarterback, yeah. plus he played in the secondary, um, led his team to a state championship. Uh, very talented with the ball in his hands, over 1,200 yards rushing, 17 touchdowns. He threw for 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns. Plus, he was able to make plays on the defensive side of the ball, held offers from uh, UMass and Navy, another academy-type mm -hmm. kid that, you know, again, if you're talking about high-character-type kids that I think you would love to have in your program. But I, I think, you know, again, if he's ready to go, you can play right away, 5'11", 170. Well, I mean, we've seen uh, that's D one. That's D one corner size. You, you can, can do that. You can do that in a heartbeat if he's ready to go. So I think a great sign again. Uh, pure athlete in one of those situations. Remember, Jacob Sailors was brought in as a cornerback, and it didn't work that's out. True. So the one thing they know <laughs> is that if you're an athlete like that, and if McNeil, and I'm not saying he will struggle at all, but if it doesn't, if it's like, oh, I don't know what he's going to do here. There are plenty of other positions that yeah. five eleven one seventy skill on the offensive side of the ball if it doesn't work out as far as a secondary guy. And corner is a little different from defensive line where you, you've got the physical development component or offensive line physical development component or quarterback where, you know, you have to grow in the scheme a little bit. Corner, you kind of either have it or you don't. And so he's going to get an opportunity to show that he's got it at corner. And if he doesn't, and there are other ways and means to get him on the football field, I would not be the least bit surprised to see ETSU explore that. And, hey, I mean, if you just want to play football and you don't care where you play football, what position you play, um, ETSU is going to find a place to put you on the field. And plenty of successful players. I've seen plenty of successful players. That's North Dakota State does that all the time. James Hendricks was brought in as a quarterback. He converted after his second year to safety. And then there was a time when their backup senior, senior backup quarterback, Cole Davis, got hurt. He dislocated or he separated his shoulder. He was done for the year, and Hendricks was in the quarterback meetings again. Like they they just slid him back over, and he did both. Um, and he had that he had an iconic goal line interception to beat James Madison in the 2019 uh, national championship game in January of 2020. So um, yeah, Marquise Bridges was a really good corner at North Dakota State. Started out as a wide receiver. Uh, that ETSU has moved guys like that around all the time. Safeties uh, become linebackers. Uh, corners become safeties. All that stuff. So, yeah, I, I would say if you are just wanting to get on the football field and you want to get on the football field and contribute to the ETSU Buccaneers and you're a good athlete like like he is, um, I, I think McNeil's going to have opportunities to contribute. If, if it doesn't work out at corner, and, I mean, honestly, ETSU needs guys that can contribute at corner and needs as many of them as it can get. So... Um, he's going to have an opportunity to earn of a, a role in his preferred position. Another athlete, and comes from a athletic family. Christian Mathis, five nine one seventy wide receiver out of Marietta, Georgia. People recent memory may remember Jordan Mathis. His brother played at Western Carolina. Played yeah, with Tyree Adams, and was able to to. Uh, him and uh, David Patton's son uh, were able to run around and catch a lot of passes. But his dad, Mark, played at Liberty, played pro ball with the St. Louis Cardinals, Miami Dolphins, and my Edmonton Eskimos. 
as I remember Mark for a few years there. But 125 receptions, 2,500 yards, yeah. 30 scores, first team All State, football, baseball kid, built on speed, just like his brother Jordan. I'm sure like his dad Mark. So certainly ETSU uh, with the get again. I know they're very deep at receiver, but they're going to lose and graduate a few guys uh, a lot next year and another one the following year. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to replenish at some point, and they'll do so with Christian Mathis, who won't be thrust into duty his first year, or at least I assume won't be uh, thrust into duty early on. Right. He's somebody that's that's got to earn it. I mean, it's a, that's a stacked room. It's, it's, a, it's a room that's got a lot of veterans in it. Uh, it's a room that's got a lot of guys that you got to beat out to, uh, to get there. But, I mean, if you can get there, hey, great. Now, George Corals emphasized this in his signing day press conference with the media. He said, we are not going to redshirt players for the sake of redshirting players. You know, the, the, there is the, the old mindset is the true freshman year is the least productive season that a college football player can have, and that the redshirt senior year is the most productive season that a college football player will ever have. And so when you redshirt a player, you are trading their least productive year to get their most productive year. The problem with that is how many guys are staying at SOCON programs? I mean, let alone FCS nationally or or mid-major programs in general. You can throw a group of five in there too. How many guys are staying for that most productive year? Very few, if any. So at this point, like GQ said, you're almost redshirting them for someone else. If a player earns the opportunity to get on the field, they're going to put him on the field. Mathis has a less direct road to getting on the field than the defensive guys do. But i that's somebody that I look at and say, if he earns it, great. You know, ETSU needs plenty of kick return, punt return guys. That would be an opportunity to get on the field and utilize your speed and just, I mean, punt return is not as difficult as, as some other position, some other roles. You just get the ball and you run as fast as you can straight ahead. Uh, if it's, you know, if it's blocked well in front of you. Uh, but there are going to be opportunities for a guy like that to contribute in a lot of different ways. And ETSU is not going to keep true freshmen off the field if they are ready to contribute. That's Portal Watch. Let's look at the signing class more on football portal stuff later. Let's talk national championship. Sure. Let's do it. What a national championship it will be. Boy, it was a tell of two halves in the first regular season. It was. Very much was. Uh, three straight scores for North Dakota State to start the game. Then they threw an interception. Then it was punt galore, and they fall 23-21. South Dakota State, the opposite. They scored on the first possession. thinking, okay, great. Then they punted three straight times and then uh, basically had one play into the half. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, four possessions besides a nail down, four scores. Field goal, touchdown, field goal, field goal, 23-21, South Dakota State. That's a absolute head-scratcher. Uh, the offense just fell apart in the, in the second half for North Dakota State. Um, and I think that is something that has been um, – What's what's the old? The, there was an old saying. I think it's from like the fifties or sixties. Stuck in their craw, I think is the saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I think it's the phrase. You seem familiar with that one. Uh, that's been stuck in their craw up in Fargo, pretty much the whole season since. That's um, something that you know they'll never admit it, right? They'll never say it outwardly because uh, unlike South Dakota State, they don't build their entire identity around beating one specific program, but they have been bothered by the way that game got away from them and they are chomping at the bit to correct it. That will be interesting to watch. And then on the South Dakota State side, you know, I keep going back and forth because on the one hand, this feels like it's the Jackrabbits year. They're healthy. Um, you know, Isaiah Davis has been really good in the backfield for them. Mark Gronowski, the quarterback, has been phenomenal again. I think he's like forty-six and one against FCS competition or something. It's some maybe no, I don't think no, he hasn't played nearly that many games. Um, but maybe it's like twenty-six and one or something. But it's a lot, right? He's won a lot of games against FCS competition, uh, and he's only lost one. And this group 
is as healthy as maybe a Jackrabbit team has ever been. And they have exercised some postseason demons along the way. But at the same time, at some point in every conventional season, SDSU has a postseason run that ends in a dud. Last year, they went to Bozeman and they lost by multiple scores to Montana State, who then got boat raced by North Dakota State in the national championship game. Um, in 2019, they laid a massive blue and yellow egg in Brookings. I didn't know Jackrabbits could lay eggs, but that's what happened against Northern Iowa, a team that they hammered a couple of weeks before at the end of the regular season. And Northern Iowa came out and beat them in, in the second round of the playoffs. Um, the year before that, 2018, they got hammered by North Dakota State in the semifinals at the Fargo Dome. 2017, they turned the ball over 10 times in Harrisonburg and got blown out by JMU. And in 2016, they went to North Dakota State in the second round and they got smashed after they had won in the Fargo Dome in the Dakota Marker game earlier that year. And the fact that they haven't had one where you just go, oh man, they're not ready to play makes me anxious because it always seems to happen. There's always the one. And North Dakota State is always overprepared for one game every year, and it's the national championship game. But the Jackrabbits are playing the Bison, the team that they seem to be just totally obsessed with that lives rent-free in their heads despite the fact that they have been beating North Dakota State on the field in the regular season quite a bit. They've won the last three Dakota markers. So I don't, I don't know. I go back and forth. This is one that I look at and say North Dakota State's injuries should make them a team that would require a little bit of good good fortune to win this game because they don't have Tamaric Williams. They don't have Hunter Lipke. It uh, doesn't sound like they're going to have, I think Will Most starts banged up as well. Uh, so they're a little bit thinner on the defensive line. Lashaka Rokes, I don't know if they'll have him back or not. But uh, this is a group that is thinner than South Dakota State is. SDSU is the deeper team. SDSU um, has been very polished in all phases for most of the year. I but I just can't pick against the Bison in Frisco. You know, like it's it's one of those that it's just you're you're right there. These two teams neck and neck for the national title, and um, I think it's whoever makes fewer mistakes because FCS football is notoriously sloppy. Whoever makes fewer mistakes over the course of 60 minutes is going to win the national championship. If that sounds reductive, guess what? That's because it is. Because that's really all I've got at this point to separate these two teams. South Dakota State, it does feel like it's different because we both had kind of thought, well, I wasn't on board with Montana State winning, but I was like, this is going to be a tight game. I could see it coming down the wire, and I could see um, Montana State winning. And then all of a sudden, you know, you look up, it's like 21 nothing, and then there's a boat race the other way. And I'm going, what? In the way? So every time I think, you know, I've kind of doubted South Coast State, and I picked them uh, to win in a regular season versus North Coast State just for simple reason. of the, That's kind of what they do. Like, it's kind of been their Super Bowl, right? And I mean, you, you were up there, you lived it. It's what they live for. And it felt like North Coast State, it was just like another game. But now, there's not another game for North Dakota State. Mm -hmm. The mindset is this is a championship game. This is what we do. And again, I kind of feel like, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? You, you, I just always kind of go with, until you've proven it when it matters, I go with the one team. And although I feel like this is South Dakota State's year, I think it's going to be tough to knock off NDSU because they have been there, done that. And if things go awry, uh, you know, how will SDSU respond? And I was real tempted earlier this week when being asked about it to say, I think South Dakota State is going 
to finally get over the hump, finally win it, it's just tough to pick against the champs. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you look at the past decade, 11 years, 12 years, and they've lost like three games in a playoffs period. It's, it's just it's tough to say this is number four. I mean, it really is. Now, neither one of us are going to be shocked if South Dakota State wins a 24. It was 23-21. If it's 24-21, if it's 2017, none of us are going to be shocked. Now, if South, the shocking part to me would be if South Dakota State won by two or more scores. Like, if somehow it's 31-14. That, that is, would be the time I come in here and go, I have no idea what I just watched because I did not see that coming. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. That would be the only thing. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think, you know, it's a one-score game, and I think North Dakota State has kind of been there, done that. So I'm going to take the Bison just because they've been there, done that. But I'm not going to be shocked if South Dakota State wins this game by a field goal or a touchdown. The only shocking result, if North Dakota State blows out South Dakota State, I just go with whether they're the champs and they prove they were the champs and nobody's been able to knock off the champs. It's an easier explanation. South Dakota State – we're able to put it, and I guess you could go when North Dakota State still got banged up, down full complement, and, and, and that's fair, but I still think I would be shocked. Uh, the only shocking result would get me is if it is a two or more score win for South Dakota State. It would not shock me if North Dakota State, the champs, were able to do what the champs do. Right. Which is knock people down and out. So I'm not picking anybody. I'm not picking this game. I just can't wait to watch it. Sunday afternoon. Going up against the NFL. Also, uh, Buffalo Bills by 50 on Sunday after DeMar Hamlin was able to FaceTime with the teammate with the team earlier today. My wife put the kids in the uh, Patriot jerseys to go to school today, and I was like, they're going to be the most hated kids. They're already the most hated kids anyways for wearing Patriot gear around here. But but now they got to play the Bills this week? Yeah. yeah. That's uh, not going to go well. Yeah. It, it, no one pulls for the Patriots anyways, but – there's no one in America that's not a Patriot fan. And, and even some of them are probably like, eh, well, if we lost, we had, it's good to lose to them. I have no sympathy for you, Jay. I have none. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know why you're, you're being mean to me. It's not my fault. I just put on a, I just put on a shirt and watch the game. Because you know you're, you're an easy target. I'm poking the block. That's fair, too. All right, big show coming up on Monday. We'll recap the weekend's basketball action and the FCS championship. Jay, keep on going. Oh, you got to be kidding me.